So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Hello and welcome to the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I am joined by Alex Edelman, the co-founder and CEO of Lolly. They are pushing Bitcoin adoption and awareness by providing Bitcoin as a cashback award. We talk about building companies in the Bitcoin space, is experience building in other um, spaces, challenges that he's seen building in the Bitcoin space, where we're at in the adoption cycle since he's at the forefront of it, and so many other good topics. It was a great conversation, and let's just go ahead and jump right into it. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alex Edelman. He's the CEO and co-founder of Lolly. And Lolly is a company that's really trying to push adoption, awareness and adoption in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency space. And so uh, he's someone that I'm really interested to talk to. So welcome, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Um, I know we tried to line this up a couple of times. I'm glad we finally did. Uh, like I said, I've been excited to talk to you. So uh, for those that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, the projects you worked on in the past, how you got here, and 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 what you're doing? Yeah. So yeah, my name is Alex. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Lolly and also CEO of Lolly. And uh, yeah, what we've created is a really simple way for people to earn Bitcoin when they shop online as they normally would. So we have over 900 merchants on the platform. Uh, people, these are these are companies that you shop at every day. There's Walmart. There's Priceline. Booking.com. Safeway grocery, um, places that people where you can go get your essentials, you get your groceries, you, you take your travel, um, buy your toilet paper, whatever you're looking for. And we make it really easy for everybody to earn Bitcoin when you, when you do it. So right now it's a Chrome, Safari and Firefox extension. And it sort of like follows you around and you go to the different sites and it pops up and it says, Hey, do you want to earn 10% back in Bitcoin? Uh, you can also go to lolly.com and see our 900 plus merchants. Um, on the platform and um, earn more Bitcoin when you do it. Um, so yeah, so we're, we um, started this company after uh, the whole team and I, we built a previous company called Cosmic and we sold into a very similar space uh, into, into merchants and we would go to merchants and we would um, sell the solution to them that let them sell their products anywhere with this mission of democratizing commerce. Um, we ended up learning about Bitcoin a couple years into building the company and found it just to be this like fascinating technology. Um, the whole team was really drawn into this idea of giving everyone in the world the ability to have the same asset and be able to trade that asset and send it anywhere in the world cross border, thus democratizing commerce native to a currency. So we all got really excited about it. It never made sense for us as like a payments mechanism with our last company. We talked to merchants about it. They weren't really excited about it because it didn't really solve their real problems at that moment. So that was sort of where we started like brew in this, in this idea of how do you distribute Bitcoin to more people? The next phase is, you know, we ended up getting acquired by a, a company called Pop Sugar to come in and power 1.2 billion in retail revenue. A year after that, after we grew quite a bit post acquisition, a bigger company came along, Ebates, uh, which is the largest cashback company in the US. They came along and bought us away from Pop Sugar in a divestiture. So we were there for about a year, got to learn the cashback model. And I was thinking while I was there, like, you know, pitch this to them, how incredible would it be to use the cashback model as a distribution mechanism for Bitcoin to teach people about Bitcoin and spread it to more people. 
And the central thesis of that is that most people are not investors. And even more than that, most people are not miners. So how are you going to get mass Bitcoin um, adoption without attracting a whole new wave of consumers? So we said, let's take the consumer that shops online, that knows rewards, that wants rewards, and let's share Bitcoin with them and introduce them to Bitcoin in this new way. Um, and so, yeah, we, we launched about 11 months ago and it's just been incredible. Uh, we're bringing new people into Bitcoin. We're bringing, I think importantly, uh, women into Bitcoin. Um, there's 30% of our, our users are female. And, and so it just shows sort of like early signs of, of uh, increased adoption by new people that previously did not have Bitcoin or were not um, in the space. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think uh, everyone's aware of the, of the the system, I suppose, right? So we're earning like cash or rewards back. So whether that's airline miles or target reward points or whatever. And then there's the cash back, right? So now uh, credit cards companies probably started it, but you know now they'll give you cash back instead. Uh, but rather than in earning a cash back or a, a, a rewards point, you're given Bitcoin. Exactly. Right. So we're taking something that uh, people are already familiar with. We're not having to convince them that rewards are good, free things are good, um, but we're also assigning value and having people pay attention to it, not just around price and not just around investing, but around passive earning. And when they can go see that their points are deflating, um, you know, and, and, and there's this like, um, inf or sorry, in inflating, there's this inflationary uh, nature uh, to, to points, uh, whereas Bitcoin is like, there's only 21 million of them. You're getting real Bitcoin and that is going up in value because there's scarcity um, and because more people believe in Bitcoin and they're learning about the principles of Bitcoin. Then they, like so far, like our users have seen Bitcoin triple and, and they haven't seen the rewards triple and they haven't seen their points triple. They've seen their points stay the same or deflate um, in value. So I think it's really important. It's almost like a forcing function of teaching somebody about the importance of Bitcoin indirectly, then they value it more and then they become more invested in it. Um, and they're choosing us over cash back programs, which is a really great signal. Yeah, something is uh, something definitely switches in your brain when you start to realize how a deflationary currency works. And so um, a lot of people do come for the money aspect to make money. Uh, but then, like you said, as you see it going up in value, you're like, wow, what the heck is this? I need to learn more about it. And it's weird because it even changes the way that you want to spend money, the way you look at spending money. Like I look at spending dollars and I don't really think about it, but like, oh, no, I'll never spend my Bitcoin. So um, that's interesting. Now. Um, if uh, I, I guess your primary market right now, though, uh, is people that are already aware of Bitcoin. Is there like an option where people maybe at first want to earn cash back and then they have an option to choose Bitcoin or you only do Bitcoin? We only do Bitcoin. That's our that's like what we're really focused in. There's plenty of cash back companies out there. And I don't think that there needs to be any more competition on that front. You technically can like you can exchange it for cash like you can you, you get Bitcoin as the default currency. And I think that's really important for our brand to be around Bitcoin. Um, but you can get cash and you can do whatever your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin. Like you can do it, whatever you want with it. Um, and so some, you know, very few uh, people have like cashed out when, you know, when their Bitcoin tripled, doubled, whatever, you know, whatever point that they got into. Um, but for the most part, people were turning people into holders, you know, hodlers. And, and, and that's been like our bread and butter. And do you offer a wallet or do you transfer to the wallet, um, the address of their choosing? So Lolly is effectively a wallet. It's a custodial wallet. 
and most people are keeping it within the wallet. There's certain like Bitcoin maximalists that have earned, you know, hundreds of dollars in, in Bitcoin and are, you know, feel safer, you know, holding their own keys. And so you can transfer it out and, and hold it your own. It's really up to you. Um, we, it's sort of our mission to teach people the importance of self-sovereignty and being their own bank and owning their keys. But there's a lot of people that want other people to manage that for them. And so, you know, we can't come from a payments background. We come from, uh, you know, our last company was PCI level one compliant. We were, uh, you know, we, we had a extreme dedication, you know, partly because we had to in security, privacy and all of that good stuff. So I think that a lot of people, you know, are trusting us with, you know, that we're, we're taking the same principles and protocols and applying them to the, the Bitcoin space that we did uh, in the payments world. Um, but, you know, some people don't, you know, trust anybody and they, they want their own Bitcoin, even with like $15 uh, in Bitcoin. So it's really up to the consumer. It, their money should be, you know, up to them. And that's the whole thing that we have to teach people is like, you should have control of your money and be able to do it with what you want. And you shouldn't, um, like if you, you know, give a bank cash, like it's debatable if that's really your money. Um, the bank's doing all these things with it, they're lending. So we like to think about like the future banking system, uh, giving these like abstraction layers of earning, like lending, um, cash back, these sort of things and giving it back to the consumer. Uh, I think that like one of the most difficult things about Bitcoin, which you can probably relate to, is a lot of people just don't understand what money is and they don't understand how money works. Yeah. Thus, they're like, well, what, what are the issues? Like my cash works at my, you know, at my Whole Foods, like I, my credit card works, but they don't understand the back end systems of like how it all works and why and where it breaks down. Right. So Bitcoin is like better money. It's more efficient. It's like it, it, it uh, functions without needing any, any trust and any centralized parties and no data breaches. It's just like this beautiful, incredible piece of code that we all can use, um, you know, hypothetically uh, for this like new money. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you're absolutely right. People have no idea how the financial system works. And um, when I, I do a lot of, uh, I, I do a lot of digging through history to kind of bring some of those lessons back. And it's interesting, because when you look back all the way to like the founding of the United States, and you see some of the quotes from Thomas Jefferson, but Benjamin Franklin, but even Henry Ford in the early 1900s said that, uh, you know, he said that if, if the average, if, if the Americans understood how the financial system worked, uh, there would be a revolution overnight. And like, this was like in the early 1900s and they got it back then. Um, numerous quotes of, you know, how much danger we'll be in if the central banks take over and all these things. Um, but now, you know, over, you know, the last 80 years, hundred years of education has been completely changed and now nobody is aware of it. Um, but hopefully that changes. I'm curious uh, because now you've built, uh, you're, you're a builder, you've built a couple companies and, and uh, a couple acquisitions. So you built it in like the payment space, then in like the uh, reward space, cashback space, and now Bitcoin space. Um, how similar is it or how much different is it building in the Bitcoin crypto space versus like a traditional like points back or cashback space? So yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> um, I mean, building a company is building a company. I mean, second time is just like, it, it's so different like second time around um and i i love to like share my like musings with they just building companies in general um and so we're like one thing a lot of people don't know is like we're building with the same team as our last company so we we had an incredible team we like everyone you know, got the band back together to start this so having like the trust built in to the this next company we you know we we built some pretty incredible technology with the last company we love building together. We all trust each other. We work really well together. And so uh, 90% of us built our, our last company together. 
Um, and you know, I've taken a lot of like learnings uh, from that. So our day to day is very similar to building any company. Um, you know, you're hiring people, you're, you're, you're doing everything very similar. The customers are a little bit different. I don't think that a lot of people, um, because, so our last company was mainly like an enterprise company that was like our, our primary play and building a consumer company, I think is very different and building a consumer company in the Bitcoin space is also very different. Um, I think that you have to be very, very transparent. You have to be, you have to tell people exactly what you're doing. You're, you have to have, you know, we, we have open source code and like we, we, we want people to, um, you know, make sure, keep us honest about like the things that we're doing, the business practices we're doing, which be very transparent with our community. Um, that said, we get, we, we get, and we have this extremely engaged community. Like if you follow us on Twitter, you know, like, like people who use Lolly are obsessed with it and they yeah. love stacking sats. They love earning Bitcoin. Who doesn't? And, and so when you're building in this like transparent, like I think people love the story and they love to feel like they're building with us. And we, because we build so open and we, like leverage our community to go get new merchants, which increases the adoption of Bitcoin. Like every, like we're all working together. Like they're stacking sats. We're, you know, we're getting new merchants. Um, we do this game where we're like, Oh, who do you want to see next? And like, people are like, Oh, I want Safeway. I want, um, I want like hotels.com. I want booking.com. And then we go show those to like booking.com and we go get them on board because our community demanded it. And they see this, like this, incredibly engaged community so building in the bitcoin space i think it's like really nice because with uh, with with when we were at ebates one of the things we learned is like the coupon clippers and sort of like this older generation that transitioned into ebates and was obsessed with cash back is like this rabid customer that like loves getting their cash back and i mean who doesn't love getting like things for free and like getting cash and and so people who are like getting sats back and people who are getting bitcoin back are like so excited to like get involved. And uh, every time we land a new merchant, it's like one step you know, forward for the Bitcoin community because we've been very transparent about our roadmap. It starts with rewards. And then over time, as, we, as Bitcoin transitions from a store of value to a medium of exchange, we're at that point of transition with that like vertex. And that's what gets so exciting. When we go drive $50 million in sales for Walmart, and I go to them and say, hey, you guys are spending $5 billion in credit card fees. I don't even know how much you're spending in chargebacks. Why don't you use Bitcoin? Why don't you use some sort of digitally native currency with immutability to solve your issue around um, fraud, to solve your issue around like credit card fees? And if we're at that point of purchase and we have all these consumers that are like using Lolly as like their preferred rewards wallet, that gets really exciting to save people even more money, to bring even more transparency to e-commerce, to purchasing, to commerce in general. Like that's that's where it gets really exciting. So yeah. uh, I personally like love building in the Bitcoin space. I think it's like really exciting. And I, I just don't think there, there's like too many markets that have a consumer that is so passionate about the future and this like new world that we're all creating together. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think the reason why the people, the consumers are so passionate is because we're in such an early stage. And so yeah. in the early stage, the early adopters are like the true believers. And so uh, the true believers, the early adopters are going to be super passionate about it and are going to want to share it, which is why it's amazing to work with them. The, the con to that is that it's a small segment of the population. Uh, so, um, you know, as that segment of the population grows, uh, maybe some of that enthusiasm 
enthusiasm dies down a little bit. But uh, that's an interesting insight that you have, and I, and I can see that. So people are used to getting rewards back. People like getting cash back better. But we have cash everywhere. This is this is Bitcoin, and so for the true believers, they really want that. I guess uh, uh, you know. So so on the consumer side, I get that. I'm thinking more about like uh, the new, maybe like regulatory side that you have to deal with. So for example, you're a wallet provider. So now you have like a Bitcoin custody to deal with. I would imagine that's more challenging than just sending points back or cash back. Or is that not much different? It is. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it is, but it's like, you know, we work with some like, you know, incredible third parties that like, like are, you know, they have, um, like the regulatory licenses that we need. So we can offboard a lot of the, um, the, that side of the house to other uh, parties that specialize in custodial solutions. And we can really focus on the part of the business that we are uniquely great at. And it's, it's, it just is, uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to build anything, but like, I mean, building our last company was really hard and has our last company had so many challenges that we had to deal with that we don't have to deal with with this company. So there's like given, you know, sort of a give and take and pros and cons to building any business. And I think, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, including myself, are maybe concerned or at least aware of, of it, se this, it seems to be very difficult to do crypto-based businesses, Bitcoin-based businesses in the United States. Um, we saw, I think just this week, even Goldman Sachs company Circle announced they're moving most of Poloniex offshore because they just can't deal with U.S. regulations. Um, so we see this happening over and over and over. Um, U.S. people being blocked from participating in different um, different exchanges and things like that as well. So I was just curious if you experienced any roadblocks. But as far as you're concerned, you're saying it's kind of about the same for what you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, it's it's a lot of the same. And there, I mean, like, I guess it's it, you know you only know what you don't know. And like when we started this business, there's so many things that we learned and we had to learn and we've gotten good at. So and like also you know we've been in the Bitcoin space for five years, so it's not like these are new things to us. We, we know the regulations, we know how to, like we've built in the space for a long time. Uh, and I actually think that payments, the payment space, um, which is what we were doing previously, had way more regulations and was way more, I mean, like our claim to fame in the payments world, which, you know, doesn't get a lot of uh, press or, or credit or whatever, is like we survived the Target breach, um, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, Target had like the biggest breach of all time and we had just landed them and we had to survive all of these penetration tests as like this four person company. And, and so that was like a really like scary moment, but you, you know, we built an incredibly secure platform. We, what, what does that mean? You had to survive the penetration tests. So, uh, without disclosing too much information from targets and basically like when target got breached, when anyone gets breached, you, they have to go test all of their vendors to make sure that everyone's compliant. And, and then they do advanced like security screenings on all the different technologies and like third parties come in. Um, to reevaluate which which parties they can keep, which parties they have to get rid of, um, because they had revamped security to never have a breach again, and to like you know really like lock down. And as the smallest vendor by far that they had, uh, we were able to like survive that breach. Nice. Uh, and so we only did that because we built the best technology and the most secure technology in the space, and we did that from day one. And there's a lot of things that I think my team, like our principles, are around where we like will not compromise on privacy. We will not compromise on security. And it doesn't matter if it takes longer to build and ship because of that. We just, we're, we're not willing to give that up. So we took, we took those principles with cosmic. We were rewarded with like by them. 
And I mean, think about like your incentives as a new startup. Like if you get hacked, if you get breached, like that, you lose credibility, you lose trust. And so you're incentivized to look out for those sort of things and, and to like do what you do what you have to do to like be the most secure uh, company and to not get breached, to not get hacked. It seems like most people really today don't don't even really think about their privacy. I think some of these hacks are starting to bring some of that to the forefront. I think it's still a long way off. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, if I could like snap my fingers and do just about anything, I, I one of the one of my first initiatives would be to like have everyone understand why like the importance of privacy and the importance of like their identity. Um, I think that credit card companies and credit companies in general have, there's been so many breaches and people just don't understand like all the information that's out there. And it's really, it's, it's a scary world to live in this dystopian world when all your information is digitized and that information is, is protected, quote unquote, protected by third party, these like centralized institutions and there's no trust in like you, if you're trusting this like institution to like protect you and there's no sort of like, um, like there's no way to protect yourself. It's like a very scary world. So, uh, companies that have done the best, I think has been like Apple. Like I trust Apple with my data. Um, because even when they're subpoenaed by the, you know, the Supreme court, they, you know, their stance was like, we don't even have access to our own customers data. Like, and, and, you, they, they, even if they wanted to, they couldn't like pull the data. Thus, if they got hacked, you can't find data that like doesn't exist on, a, on an individual. Whereas other companies like Facebook have made and, and Google have made businesses off of controlling people's data. Yeah, they, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see how that will evolve and how companies will like look at over time how how much they're incentivized to protect data and then arguably like not store certain data or tokenize certain data. Um, because the biggest companies in the world or the biggest honeypots in the world are data, like companies that have lots of data. Yeah. And I think, I think the bar has been raised. So, I mean, if you're, if you're Google and you're tracking my internet usage and what I'm looking at online, I mean, that's, that's a lot that, that obviously what I'm looking at could, you know, incriminate me or could tell a lot about me or whatever. Um, but when you're looking at what I'm spending my money on, that's even deeper. That's like even a more, uh, kind of a more invasion of privacy because now it's not just what I'm thinking about it's what I'm actually doing. And so um, the bar has been raised and hopefully that, that brings awareness. But I, I think just the average person wouldn't even think about like, what information is Lolly keeping on me? Is Lolly keeping information on my purchases? Like where, where's that information going? What happens if that gets out? How are you going to use that against me, et cetera? Yeah. So I, I mean, that's something that we like hold like the utmost importance to. We don't know what you're buying. We don't want to know what you're buying. We, we just need to know the amount you spent at each merchant. And like, and that's how we, we fulfill like the Bitcoin back. So we, we actually, we take a stance of we want to collect uh, the least amount of information and we do our own audits of like, can we collect less information? Could we like to fulfill the same purpose, which is ultimately getting Bitcoin back on your purchases. Yeah. So um, right. that's the approach we take. I think it's, we've been rewarded for it so far. Um, I think that it's, it's scary to like, I think users should always ask what's being collected. How is it being uh, you know secured? Are people selling data? Like we have, we have no business and in selling data. We like we are not incentivized to sell data. 
We don't want to sell data. We make money when you make purchases online. And like, that's the way that we make money. And that is a great business. We, it's a proven business model with Ebates. Like we don't need to reinvent the wheel on there. We like, we want to be a company that like makes money when you earn Bitcoin. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. we don't need a lot of data to, to do that. We just need people to use Lolly and shop online as they normally would. With these like uh, micro amounts that people are getting back, um, is there KYC requirements on that? No KYC on the onboarding. It's only a minimal KYC on the off ramp. Um, and all we need is first name, last name, and email, email to do uh, on the off ramp to, to transfer to US dollars or to transfer to a, your own Bitcoin address. Because the amounts are so low? Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, so there's not like a, a big issue with, like in our business, people aren't buying, people aren't buying like millions of dollars of Bitcoin right. uh, that they could potentially use for like, you know, let's just say in, in a worst case scenario, terrorism or, or some sort of like uh, black market activity. Like people have to go buy, like they're buying like toilet paper from Walmart or like flights and for like hotels.com and they're getting Bitcoin back. There's like not a lot of like fraud that you can commit. There's not, a, there's not a lot of incentives for like paying a, a lot of money for something and getting, you know, let's just say like, like our average is like 7% back. So the KYC is actually extremely minimal and uh, we actually don't have to do it on the on-ramp because we're basically just creating somebody a wallet and, and then they can start earning. So our, our whole goal in building Lolly was to create the easiest on-ramp into Bitcoin. And all you need to do is like, like sign up with your email and you can start earning. Like you just, it's, it's like takes 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So 7% is the average. That's a good, that's a good number. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And I think our highest back right now is like 45%. So what? you can earn a lot. Of What's the 45% on? eHarmony. <laughs> eHarmony. Yeah. Some of the digital products have like really high uh, Bitcoin back. Wow. That's awesome. And then you can sort that and figure out which ones get the highest percentage back and then try to frequent those if that, if that fits in your uh, buying schedule. Mm -hmm, exactly. Okay. So um, you talked about finding merchants before you talked about how, um, you know, you look at the community, the community, you know, is really voting someone up or asking about them. You can kind of go to them and use that. I'm curious, you know, when you're going to merchants or finding merchants, how does that process work out? Like, uh, are you going to these merchants and saying, Hey, we're doing this thing where we pay Bitcoin back and they're like, what the heck is that? Or is it like you just say we're doing a, a rewards point and you don't really get into the whole Bitcoin thing? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I think it's changed over the since we launched. Um, about a year and a half ago when I first started talking with merchants, uh, the conversation was mainly about points. It was like, we're doing a reward system. Does like They don't really care what you're giving them in points. It could be like, you know, magical unicorn points or whatever. Like right. they don't really care. It's like, there's so many point systems out there that as long as you're like rewarding somebody in something with something that someone wants, they don't really care. So we took that approach because it was like, if I were to go convince all these people on Bitcoin to start, that's a really difficult sales process. Um, if I were to convince people on rewards, it's just another rewards platform. So we were able to get over 500 merchants on board, um, directly on board, because we were like, look, there's a big market with Bitcoin. Doesn't, you don't need to know what Bitcoin is other than it is a point system. And that's how we positioned it. We're like, Bitcoin is just points that's decentralized. It's determined by the world, but like, like, by buyers, by sellers, by investors of what Bitcoin is worth at any time, whereas points are determined by the institution that is giving, rewarding the points. And, and so they, that, that was like a great way to get the first wave. 
the next wave that, that came, that's like the next 450 that we've gotten over the last year, that have been sort of the slower movers, um, they, they came on board because they saw that Bitcoin was able, as a, as a marketing tool, was able to attract so many new users to their new shoppers to their, their platforms. So they saw the success with Walmart, with Overstock, with Priceline. And that's how we got all this, like, this new wave of, of merchants that came on the platform. And I think to this day, we have more merchant adoption than any other Bitcoin company in the world because we, we took a very different approach and we gave them an incentive to work with a Bitcoin company. And now I've got like, I mean, my friends at Walmart, my friends at Sam's Club, like they're, they like love Bitcoin because they, they now have, have had almost this forcing function to learn about Bitcoin because it makes sense for their business because we're driving sales for their business. Then they start to ask the real questions, the good questions about what is Bitcoin? Why do people want it? It's generating real sales for me and my business. Do we need to think about more applications? That's when we play this like long game where in five years I come back to Walmart and I say, hey, we've generated $50 million in, in sales for you all. What do you think about doing pay with Wally, pay with Bitcoin and have uh, that, that uh, go down the purchase funnel and give people the ability to actually spend their Bitcoin, use the Lightning Network, redu reduce fees and reduce Walmart's um, you know, credit card fees and um, the fees that, you know, for, for chargebacks. So then you're saying when you first started uh, the first 500 merchants, it was kind of like, hey, we're giving magical unicorn points. Uh, but now you're leading with Bitcoin and they're pretty receptive to that. So you've seen like a, maybe you've seen a little shift. Yeah. We, we, now we have real data around like around what, um, what drives sales and why people are, are like interested. And we have so many users that have dropped Amazon and started shopping at Walmart because they want Bitcoin back. Yeah, and they, awesome. they know that like most merchants are have like great return policies. They have great shipping policies and like they don't need overnight with everything. They would rather have Bitcoin back and wait an extra day or have Bitcoin back and have the same selection. And so they're like, well, how, how can I earn more Bitcoin at every moment? And we're giving them a way to earn more Bitcoin at, in more places. You're kind of burning the candle from both ends, so to speak, because you, you're pushing consumer adoption, but really, and maybe in a longer term gain, you're also pushing the merchant adoption, which as those two converge together, now we have mass adoption. Exactly. Uh, you need both in order to have the macro effects of driving mass adoption. You yeah. can't just have consumer adoption. You have to have merchant adoption and consumer adoption at the same time. And so I, I think a lot of people thought that it would come with payments because they're like, oh, people pay and, and Bitcoin is a, in, in a lot of cases, especially with second layer solutions, a more efficient way to pay um, and, and you know, reduces fraud and all those things. But I think a, a lot of people that built these like early Bitcoin payment companies, they thought about payments as the wrong, the wrong way. They thought they could just come in and sell it like an enterprise tool, but people don't want to spend a currency that's going up in value in, you know, historically. Right. So how do you get someone to pay with Bitcoin and use it? For one, it's got to stable out. So we're, we're, I think we're far away from that. I think it's like, I mean, I, I you know, don't get financial advice, but I think we're far away from like Bitcoin stabling out. I, I You're going to say how long? long? You were going to say how long? <laughs> <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're like five years out from any sort of stabilization. I'm like pretty long Bitcoin. Um, I think it's pretty incredible. And I think like the world is just starting to adopt it and, and institutional investors are deploying massive amounts of capital um, and, and are going to deploy massive amounts of capital. And it's a great asset that everybody in the world can hypothetically own. Um, and then over time, it will become a better medium of exchange 
um, the, the more second layer tools that, that come out and the more, um, uh, you know, companies like Lolly that, that grow and, and continue to, to build great businesses around the Bitcoin space. Yeah. So, um, this was unplanned because we've been trying to do this interview for weeks now, but just yesterday I dropped a video on YouTube talking about this exact topic. And I said almost the exact same thing as you did, which is like, uh, this, the, the evolution of money. And, and really, I believe we're still in a, in a, in a collectible stage and it's being driven by speculation. And eventually we'll get to the store value stage. And once we get to the store value stage, we'll see the volatility narrow down. And then eventually we'll move to the medium of exchange and then eventually unit of account, et cetera. And I put about the same timetable. I said, maybe in the next two, three years, we see this more stable uh, store value. Uh, but the medium of exchange could be seven, eight years out is kind of is, is what I put. So uh, I put that out yesterday because kind of the kind of we're seeing eye to eye on that. Um, yeah. I, I, and it's tough to predict. Like we've never seen anything like Bitcoin no. before. And it's just like, I, I mean, I, I won't pretend like I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I don't have a finance background. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I studied economics, but we've never seen anything like Bitcoin. So anyone who like pretends to have like a definitive answer of it, it's it's like it will staple out when it when like it stables out in the in the world. Starts to, like, <laughs> but we are so like think about the amount of things that have to happen in order for it to stable out. Like governments are going to adopt it as a reserve currency or a reserve a store of reserve. We, we no, I don't. I mean, maybe some countries have done it in like small scale, but we have not even seen like institutions like start to invest their money into Bitcoin in the masses. And institutions are going to come first, and then it's going to be countries, and then the countries like whoever's the last countries to like adopt it as a partial uh, reserve. It like that's where it gets more exciting. If we like look at really like a macroeconomic trend, the thing I get really excited about is countries that are like okay. Like I'm tired of using the U.S. dollar as a store of reserve, which is a lot of people don't realize that. But like most countries' reserve is not gold; they don't have access to gold. They right. have access to U.S. dollars, and that's the the most like liquid, best store of value is the U.S. dollars. Like we, this, the the biggest stablecoin in the world is the U.S. dollar, and it's not backed by anything but the Fed. So and like you know GDP. So if, if like we have that as, our, as the world store of value, if when countries start to get smart and they're like, wait a second, I can't own gold because there's only a limited quantity and all the countries have accounted for it, but I can earn Bitcoin or I can't own Bitcoin. And they start to say, I'm going to take 5% of my reserve and I'm going to put it into Bitcoin. And that's going to be a store of value for me and my country. And then other countries start to see other countries doing it. And they're like, well, I don't want to get you know, far behind. I need to, to put it in. We haven't even hit that yet. Like when that happens, like we, like <laughs> the Bitcoin at 10K is going to look really, really fucking cheap yeah. when <laughs> start to put the money in. Cause I don't think people realize like how much money is out there in these, in, in these like reserves and you know, the countries that wait, you know, like China, the U S that are sort of, they have their own reserve. They have the most stable currency. If they wait and they don't adopt it and they get left behind, and they say, oh, I'm only going to put 1% in or I'm going to put like 0.1% in. They're going to get left behind because the whole world is going to start to go to a new reserve system being Bitcoin. And unless something comes along that is a better Bitcoin, which I have not seen yet, like then I, I just I don't see Bitcoin getting replaced um, yeah. in, in that in that regard. So yeah, I, 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 I think we're in the early days and I want to align myself with Bitcoin. And I think we need to you know give our consumers Bitcoin and we need to teach them and we need 
you know, more people like you that are like, you know, doing like really high quality, like teachings on money, educational services on money and teaching people the importance of Bitcoin, the importance of, of products like Lolly to uh, educate people about how to earn Bitcoin, how to own Bitcoin and, and why that's so important for the world. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that, that whole thing that you just said there. And I agree with all of that. I think um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of refreshing to hear your perspective because as you said, right, you're not really trying to push the payment narrative uh, because it's too early. It's too soon to push the payment narrative. And so really what you're doing with Lolly is really pushing a store of value narrative and helping people earn um, to save, not to spend. Um, so that's, that's a big piece. And I, I appreciate that perspective. I think that's good. Um, because we're just not there and it's not, it's not the time to be spending your Bitcoin, but it's definitely the time to be stacking the sats, right? So stack those sats. That's the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the game. So yeah, I like that. I like that whole, the whole thing that you said. I, I was going to talk more about the payments at merchants, but I think I'm just going to stop there because uh, it's such a great place to end it. Uh, but yeah, I think everyone just needs to be patient. Um, we're seeing the biggest shift that the world has ever seen. And it's not just like the information. We're talking about money, right? The most important thing mm -hmm. that we have. Um, and, and we have this game of musical chairs, this game theory, as you say. Um, it is going to be interesting. We have seen, uh, I, I, I think I tweeted about, um, I think it was Hungary did like a, a massive like confiscation of Bitcoin in some dark market. And they have more Bitcoin reserves now than gold reserves. Interesting. Wow. And uh, they didn't acquire it. They seized it. But what's going to happen with it is, is going to be the answer. But it's just interesting. They have more Bitcoin now than they have. They have gold reserves. We did see last year the central banks um, acquired more gold last year than any time in history since 1971, which was the year that we got off the gold standard and they all started uh, buying buying it back that year. So we are seeing a massive amount of gold being purchased. And, and I agree with you, right? It's just a matter of time. And so we, we start to see these sovereigns start to stack it. Uh, but it's time, it's patience. And uh, just curious, uh, I, I, people lose time perspective. And so um, being a builder such as yourself, um, to build a company, I mean, you're looking at years, right? Like you look at this long-term perspective, like what's your perspective on like building a company? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I was very fortunate, I think, to have an incredible team that uh, with my last company and we um, we very much built with this like 20 year time frame and we got acquired early and, you know, we, we it made sense to get acquired with the last company very early. Um, now we have like lower time preference because we already have an acquisition under our belt. We, we have great investors for this company. Like we have like, you know, people don't like, we don't have to sell. We have full control of the company. We don't have to do anything we don't want to do. And we're growing really fast. And so I, I take just like a way longer term approach or like, I could see myself running this company for the next 50 years. Like I don't see anything changing um, with how we're building this company. And I, I like to think like that long term. And because of a lower time preference, it gives me the ability to look at Bitcoin in a different way. It gives me the ability to look at Lolly in a different way. Um, like I, I ultimately, I think we need to be building like the Visa on top of Bitcoin rails. Um, like that's the sort of scale that I think we can look at. Like what is the international um, visa, like what's the rewards network? How do you change money as a whole? And you take a lot of like good things that the world has built 
previously and you build them on top of Bitcoin in a new way. And like since the internet, we have not seen something as drastic on the technology front as Bitcoin. And so we have whole new rails to build on top of that is this like trustless ecosystem that is going to just like shape this whole new wave of innovation. Uh, and I just feel like so lucky to be able to like be a very early company in that space. Um, and we don't need to sell like, yeah. you know, it's, it's something like, I think some companies, you know, you feel sort of like the forcing function of having to sell, but like right now, um, you know, I, I just told you our roadmap for the next 10 years. Like we got a lot of work to do yeah. and it's like, there's so much that can happen and so many things that we can do right and wrong along the, that path. But we have a very clear path. I've been saying the same path for the last, you know, 11 months since we launched on like, you know, every time I do a podcast, I, I'm like, I'm very transparent. Like people know where we're going. And like, if you want to try to compete with us, go right ahead. But like, we're, I mean, I, I feel like we have such a clear path. Um, and we know the route to go and like, you know, maybe we'll be wrong, but, um, so far we've been right. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I just love to hear from someone like yourself, uh, a builder who's done it and to hear that time preference, you know, I, uh, my, my investments take a long time. I've built business, take a long time. Um, I've done a lot of real estate development. Some of those projects take six to eight years. To, yeah. Um, you know, Warren Buffett's own Coca-Cola since like the 1960s. And uh, so, you know, real investors, real builders have these long time preferences, but I, I, I see so many people getting into Bitcoin today that are just so impatient. And if it doesn't move up in six months or a year, it's not going anywhere. Um, and I, so I just always love to just like, Hey guys, like get some perspective on this. Like yeah. <laughs> your, your Alex is building over, you know, a 20, 30, 50 year horizon. And so if we're going to replace this monetary system, I mean, it's going to take time, but, but what a ride it's going to be. Exactly. And we've, we've have some really supportive investors that um, like one of the things I, I always make sure is that, the investors are, are, are believers in Bitcoin and that they do believe in like the long-term play. They're not trying to just get rich quick and, and have like a quick return on capital. Um, like a lot of these investors, like they want us to IPO. They want us to like get to this like end mark that we can, um, like they, they're not looking for like a quick turnaround um, on this and they understand like the time preference around Bitcoin. So we're very much aligned with our investors. We have full control of the company um, and we've been really, I mean, it's just like, it's a great company. So uh, it's also like a taking a proven business model like Visa, like Ebates, these cashback models where we don't have to reinvent the wheel. These models work. And like, I think there's a lot of companies that get into the Bitcoin space and they don't have a real business model. And then they have to scramble because they're like, oh, well, we need to make money off fees. Well, what if you can't make money off fees anymore? Because we can use decentralized exchanges and we can like, you know, trade more easily with like next to no fees. Um, how are these companies going to make money? Like, we make money. Like we, we have these partnerships with the merchants. The merchants pay us and it just is like a very straightforward business model that we can build on a long time frame because we're making money. Yeah, I love it. All right, good. Well, we're running out of time. I have some more questions, but we'll have to save them for another time because uh, I know we're kind of running long and I'll, and I'll keep it short. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us and I recommend yeah. everyone to go check out Lolly and help push uh, Bitcoin adoption. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.